herbs and paintings and Christian places. It's, it's a beautiful book. Have you noticed this? Has anyone reading Philippians? Did you notice how beautiful it is? There's the artistic and there's verses that just flow. I mean, we're going to get into one passage in just a moment, but it's kind of like the friend that comes over and snuggles up beside you and then drops a truth bomb on you. Like, as I'm reading Philippians, it's so beautiful, but every time I leave, it's like I went 13 rounds with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Tonight is one of those passages that when you read it, it sounds so nice. It feels like a spiritual hug until you step back for it and realize it's actually a a jaw-dropping passage inviting the church to live in stark contrast to the world around it. Does that, does that resonate? Well, you're, boy, you lost momentum there. Come back and sing a few songs. I'm not doing it for them. Philippians chapter 4, get your Bibles ready. I hope you brought your Bibles. Bibles, phones, if you're still rocking a Blackberry, pull that Blackberry out and you pull the Bible out. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. We're just going to dive right in. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true and whatever is honorable, Whatever is just and whatever is pure, whatever is lovely and whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Doesn't that sound nice? Doesn't that sound like a, just a nice hug by friendly Pastor Paul? I don't think so. I read that this week, and I have been wrestling with it the entire week. I don't know what your Bible says. You have to check your translation, but mine says, rejoice in the Lord. I don't think so. Anyone else got a rebellious streak in them? There's something about that verse that I just want to say, no. Rejoice in the Lord always. No. No. See, it sounds inviting, it sounds beautiful, and again, if you missed it, I'll say rejoice. It seems unfair. It seems like Paul is detached from reality. There's something about the phrase or the word always that I just want to push back from. I feel like if Paul knew anything about the world, he should have said, rejoice in the Lord, period right? If Paul knew anything about real life, he should have said, rejoice in the Lord, comma, sometimes. I feel like if he knew anything about what some of us go through, he should have said, rejoice in the Lord every other day on every other month. That's a fair deal. I'll make that deal with you, Paul. I feel like if Paul didn't have his head buried so far in the sand, he should have said, rejoice in the Lord when the catches are good and the price is high. (laughs) 
I feel like Paul missed the mark on this one. Rejoice in the Lord always. So you're telling me, Paul, that you went to the doctor and the doctor looked at you and dropped the big C word and you said, yes, Lord, thank you, Lord, may I have some more? You picked up your kid from jail two in the morning. You said, yes, Lord, thank you, Lord. This has been such a great day, Lord. God is good all the time and all the time. Except when he isn't. And I feel like Paul's not being real. Like, come on, Paul. Not everything is worth rejoicing over. You don't know what to do, do you? (laughs) Is life not hard? Is life not brutal sometimes? Some days do you not feel like you're just holding it together by a thread? And if that thread unravels, you might just toss the towel on the whole thing. And you come to church, and some guy from Yarmouth gets up here and says, Rejoice in the Lord always. That might be the Lord calling, I'd answer. <laughs> Thanks, bud. <laughs> there's, there's something a little bit unrealistic about that verse. You've met Christians who walk around with a goofy smile plastered on their face all the time. Like, easy. There's something about this that feels not realistic because of how difficult we know life to be. Yes? Then it's probably a good thing Paul said rejoice in the Lord, not in our circumstances. Because I read that over and over and just wanted to push against it until I realized, whoops, Paul never said to rejoice in all of the situations. He didn't say give thanks for every circumstance. He said rejoice in the Lord, which means you might be up against the wall like Paul is. His head's not buried in the sand. Where is he sitting? In jail. Arrested, chained up, likely hungry, likely cold. And he's saying, I'm not rejoicing because I'm in prison. He's not saying, I'm rejoicing, I'm thankful Particularly, I'm rejoicing in the Lord. He is worthy to rejoice in. There's something about that that just has gnawed at me all week. Because in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 17, Paul says something a little bit similar but, but slightly different. He says, everyone has betrayed me, everyone has left, but the Lord stood by my side. The, the Lord was with me. The Lord is with me here. Moses, a different version, is standing on the edge of the promised land, ready to go in and take all that God has provided. It's the promised land, not the earned land. And he's standing on the edge of it. Whatever you've longed for, whatever you've wanted in this life, you're standing on the edge. And God looks at Moses and says, you may enter. You can have it. I'm just not going with you. If I travel with you any longer... I might just kill you. You and your people are driving me crazy. So you can go, but I'm staying here. You can have the blessings, but you lose my presence. And Moses says to God, I'm not taking another step unless you go with me. How will they know that we are your people unless we are marked by your presence? Unless the Lord stands beside me, unless my rejoicing is in the Lord, I can't do this. And as I chewed on that, this thought just kind of kept hovering over me. 
what if, what if Paul knew something that I don't know? What if there are blessings to be found in the places I pray to get out of? What if Paul, knowing what he knows, earlier says, I could live or die, they're equally appealing. Living sounds good. Dying sounds appealing. I'm content in all things. I mean, I can do all things through Christ. I mean, I'm I'm good. What if Paul in that jail cell knew that there would be a blessing from the Father that he could only receive because he was sitting in the place that I would pray to get out of. What if we're actually praying the wrong prayers? I don't know about you. I, I like my comfort, we'll say. And so when difficulty comes, my first prayer is, Lord, get me out. What if getting out meant missing out on what God left for me in? Paul says, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. And then he goes on to say, the Lord is at hand. That, that, that He's beside me. He's realized. He's close. So I'm not going to be anxious about anything. Can we agree saying the phrase, don't be anxious about anything, is as ludicrous as saying rejoice in everything? One of the things I'm thankful for is how outdated and archaic this Bible is that nobody has anxiety anymore. <clears throat> I mean, I just, I mean, I heard the critics. This thing is so outdated. It's got nothing relevant to say. I mean, I'm glad that we cured anxiety in 2020. The Lord is at hand, so don't be anxious about anything. My formula for not being anxious is God removing things that would cause me to be anxious. Yes? I've noticed, I've noticed this profound correlation in my life. The greater the trial, the increased anxiety. I've also noticed another correlation between two things. The greater the blessings in my life, the greater the joy and peace. Have you noticed this in your life? I love when God blesses me. I love when God clears the deck. And it's clear sailing. I am the most joyous, peaceful person on God's green earth when there's nothing standing in my way. And Paul somehow in prison, un, not knowing about his future, says, because the Lord is at hand, I'm not going to be anxious. I'm rooted in him, not this. This is ever-changing. This is ever-evolving. This is unpredictable, so I'm going to root myself in the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so because of him... I'm not going to be anxious. My prayers still root around the idea, change my situation, and I won't be anxious. Do the thing for me, and I'll feel better, versus increase your presence in my life, and I will experience peace. There's two different phrases he uses. At one point, he says, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And the other time, he says, the God of peace will be with you. See, if you want peace, 
pray for increased presence by the God of peace. We pray for peace like it's detached from God. If you want more peace, seek more of him. If you want less anxiety, seek more of him. And so Paul's got this language of, I'm, I'm at peace. I'm relaxed right where I am, and I am content, not because the situation is light, because my heavenly Father is big. And just when he's got us on the ropes, finally, he's going to wrap up the letter. Well, he's going to do it in a few paragraphs. We're going to do it next week. Finally, after all these things I've said, here's what I want you to think about. Whatever is pure, whatever is just, whatever is noble, whatever is honorable, lovely, commendable, excellent, if anything is praiseworthy, think on these things. Think on these things. Can we agree that if somebody had a past, it'd be Paul? Can we agree that if somebody had a past to have this kind of perspective, it would be Paul? Paul, sitting in the prison, sitting in chains, sitting where he ought not want to be, freedom almost evaporated, says, think on these things. I don't know about you, but I haven't spent a ton of time in jail, ever. I did a short stint of imprisonment in my living room a year or two ago with the rest of you. I don't know about you, but it was a hellish existence. I got up in the morning and my family was there. That wasn't the hellish part. My family was there, and I went to my cupboards, and you know what I found in my cupboards? Food. Open my fridge. You know what I found in my fridge? More food. Check the deep freeze. You know what I found in my deep freeze? More food. Do you see a theme here? Turned on the TV. Couldn't believe it. Endless streaming options thanks to Netflix. Internet was there. I got hungry, even though I had lots of food in the house, so we went online and ordered groceries. You know what they did? Drop the groceries off at our house. It was a hellish existence. I suffer, I tell you, I suffer. I got up in the morning and the church graciously kept paying me so I could pay my mortgage. I'd jump online and pretend the world cared what I had to say so I'd do a Facebook Live. <laughs> I'd preach to a camera from time to time. It was hellish, I tell you, hellish. And all through that time, do you know what I did when the camera was off? I grumbled and I complained. And I griped. And when I got tired of griping, do you know what I did? I raged for a while. I'd rage in the living room. I'd rage upstairs. A couple times I'd pace around just thinking to myself, if I had Dr. Strang for five minutes, (laughs) I'd pray for that man. (laughs) I thought to myself, after watching this 30-second video on the coronavirus, I could fix this because I'm an expert and I know everything about everything after that 30-second video. Thank you. Do you know what I didn't do? Barely anything productive. (laughs) Do you know what I did do? Said I was a victim. Took my rights. Took my freedoms. Oh, I'm going to offend all of you in the next three minutes, just in case you weren't aware. I freaked out, I complained, I grumbled, I did everything this godly pastor as you think I would do. Paul sitting in prison, every right taken from him, 
every offense imaginable done to him, every wrong imaginable done to him, and if anybody could have stood up and shook their fist at the world claiming, I'm a victim, it'd be Paul. You know what Paul does? Sits down and realizes they can imprison my body, they can put me in chains, but they can't stop what I think about, how my heart feels, and the state of my soul. He looks around the jail cell, and instead of labeling himself, whatever labels were flying around that day, he says, bring me some papyrus, <laughs> bring me a pen, I'm going to write some letters. Now, don't kid yourself. Paul did not say, I'm going to write some books of the Bible. <laughs> he did not say that. I'm going to write some letters to people that I love and that I care about, because they can put me in jail, but I've got time, and I've got my will, so I'm going to do something about it. Unbeknownst to Paul, 2,000 years later, this group of good-looking individuals would be gathered here, rallied around a letter that he wrote while in chains. And do you know what I did while chained to my house with all the privileges and blessings this world's known? Nothing. Maybe that's just me. There's something, there's something in our culture that is going to tell you that you're a victim. And please don't misread what I'm not saying. There's something in our culture that's going to teach you to live with a scarcity mindset. There's something in our culture that's going to tell you you would have it better if... There's something in our culture that tells you you are a special snowflake. Sorry, I went too far on that one, didn't I? <laughs> this culture is going to sell you all kinds of insanity. Not because it's true. It's trying to rob you of your ability to think about whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is just, whatever is praiseworthy. And if you don't buy the lie, they'll sell you a phone for $59.99 a month. And they will tell you this little brick in your pocket will change your life forever. And it will. And it will rob you of joy. There will be these little things called apps you can put on your phone so you can stay connected and watch everyone live their lives instead of living yours. You'll see events that people are at that you weren't invited to. You'll see pictures of people in places that you can't afford to go to. You'll see photoshopped pictures of women that you compare yourself to. Yes, they're photoshopped. <laughs> then, because of societal pressures, you'll have a teenager. You'll say, here, kid, here's a phone. And innocently enough, not maliciously, you will have opened up the knowledge of the entire known world to a child. And we will do studies to prove that anxiety rates are at an all-time high. Yes? And we will say, how did this happen? We did it to ourselves. Can I get an amen? amen. Do you know what Paul's really doing? 
he's inviting us to a whole other way of living. He's not saying, don't have a phone. He's not saying, don't go on this social media platform, except for TikTok, he would say that for sure. <laughs> he would not say, don't do things that aren't dangerous. He would just say, be careful. His words were, if you doubt me, guard your heart. That's your job and my job. That's not Mark Zuckerberg's job. His job is to guard his heart. Paul would say, think about these things, which means you have a choice, which means when you watch the news for countless hours, that is affecting what you think about. When you scroll, it's not innocent. It affects what you think about. The person that you love to grab coffee with and park your trucks super close to each other and talk through the windows <laughs> affects what you think about. Have you noticed you're always crankier after Joe pulls away? <laughs> I'm not saying don't love. I'm just saying guard your heart. Paul says, don't be anxious. May you have the peace of God that surpasses understanding. That's not tantalizing. That is an opportunity and an invitation to the church to live starkly different than the world around us. When he says we get to be light into the darkness, this is the kind of stuff we get to be. We get to live differently in our communities. We get to leave here and we get to rejoice always. Not because you don't suffer, not because you don't have trials, the band's gonna come here now, not because you and I don't have difficult appointments this week. I've got all kinds of difficult appointments this week with difficult people going through difficult things, and so do you. And if you don't, your children do. And when you come to church, this is not a message of buck up and do better. This is an invitation to a whole other way of life. Paul is saying, not you ought to. Paul is saying, church, we get to rejoice. We get to live as peaceful agents in a chaotic community. Paul is saying, we get to have access to the peace of God because our God is a God of peace, church. This is not a law. This is an invitation to you and to me.